Welcome to the Locked On Boston Bruins Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Ian McLaren, and this is a daily Boston Bruins podcast where we discuss all things spoke to be, as well as take a look around the NHL. I should add, it's a three times a week podcast at the moment as we continue through this COVID-19 pause to the NHL season, but we'll talk about uh, in a moment here the proposed NHL playoff format and kind of some latest developments in that. Before we get to that, I want to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. If you go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON, you'll get $10 off your first order. To keep up with the Locked On Boston Bruins podcast, you can subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, wherever else you listen to your podcasts. Uh, Each new episode will be automatically uploaded to your feed for you to download, listen, rate, review, enjoy, pass it on to your friends, etc. You can also follow the show on Twitter at LO underscore Boston Bruins. You can follow me at ENC McLaren. And you can also email the show at LockedOnBostonBruins at gmail.com if you so desire. To begin, uh, here's what we know about the NHL's proposed 24-team playoff format. There was a call last week among the NHLPA's executive committee. The Boston Bruins rep for that is uh, defenseman Brandon Carlo. The uh, proposed playoff format was brought to a vote and only two teams voted against the proposed format one being the Carolina Hurricanes and the other being the Tampa Bay Lightning now that obviously means that the Bruins voted in favor of this deal I would assume there might share some of the concerns of the Tampa Bay Lightning and let's get into now what the rationale was on their part, for voting against it. Their rep is uh, forward Alex Kilorn. He was in contact with uh, Joe Smith of The Athletic, who uh, reported the vote was based on the cumulative opinion of the entire team, not just his feelings. He said they're ready to move forward with the plan, but there were some concerns that the team had. Uh, Via text, Kilorn wrote, I brought the format to my team. They didn't feel it was fair that certain teams that probably wouldn't have made the playoffs would have a chance to make the playoffs in a best-of-five series. My team also felt it was unfair that the teams with the bye would not be as well-prepared for a playoff series as the teams that had already basically played a playoff series to get into the playoffs. Now, if you recall, the playoff format is the top four teams in each conference Uh, automatically qualify for the playoffs and they would play each other once each in order to determine one through four seeding. So it'd be kind of a round robin and whoever finished first in the group with the best record among, I'm sure, some uh, tiebreaker options, they would get the first seed and then two, three, four accordingly. Now teams five through eight would have to play teams 9 through 12 in a best 3 out of 5 in order to qualify for the playoffs. So in the East, it would be Toronto versus Columbus, Pittsburgh versus Montreal, 
the Islanders versus the Panthers, and the Hurricanes against the Rangers. Now, the Hurricanes, as I mentioned, were one of the teams to vote against this. They would be the 6th seed playing the 11th seed Rangers. So whereas under normal circumstances, the Hurricanes would have fairly good chance of making the playoffs based on regular season success, they would now be forced to play a uh, best 3 out of 5 play-in just even advance to what would now be the first round. So you can see why they would have some concerns there. Now, for the Lightning's part, they're one of the top teams in the East, so they would be playing in these uh, top-seeded games. And like Killorn said, they didn't feel that it was fair that a team like uh, you know Pittsburgh, the Hurricanes, the Leafs, the Islanders, they'd be playing these intensive uh, play-in rounds while the other teams would be playing, you know, meaningful games but not quite at the same level and wouldn't carry as much weight, especially if the teams aren't reseeded heading into the first round, which is the proposal. So say if um, Boston fell to the fourth seed, it's possible that they would play 12th seed Montreal if Montreal beat Pittsburgh in the first round. Um, so the seeding doesn't carry as much weight. You're not guaranteed to play the bottom team if you get the top seed. So again, it doesn't really matter quite as much. Now, Killorn also added, uh, the only problem I have with that format is that the top team have a bye don't know how competitive their games will be going forward where the teams at the bottom will be playing playoff games right away and will be potentially more prepared for the real playoffs. He added, there's not going to be a way to do this that satisfies everyone. We're just going to try to be as fair as possible. Whatever it is, we're going to have to find a way to play with it. Now, the Lightning, of course, they had a record of 43-21-6, entered the pause with the second most points in the Eastern Conference behind our Boston Bruins. The Bruins weren't a team that voted against this, but again, I would assume that they would share similar concerns to the Lightning, but ultimately just want to get back on the ice and have a chance to make good on what was uh, the best record in the NHL up to this point and a very good chance at uh, succeeding in the playoffs under normal circumstances. Now, of course, there are many other considerations when it comes to uh, bringing players back to play. One of them is having players be isolated from their families for an extended period of time. Bruins goalie Tuka Rask has already said it doesn't feel right to take guys away from their families for many, many months at a time. Uh, James Van Riemsdyk, who's the uh, Philadelphia rep on the uh, return to play committee, said it's a big thing. No one wants to be away from their family for months on end. Everyone is aware of that with who's on the committee. So it's a big deal for the players. Uh, especially those with families, young single guys, it might not be as big of a deal, but for guys with families and kids, they're married, even players who have uh, parents or, you know, people in their family who might get sick, they might not be able to leave to be with them. So there's a lot of things still up in the air when it comes to this proposal to return to play. 
Uh, so with the players approving the format, it's now back in the NHL's court as to how and when this will all come to fruition. Frank Zeravilla said says there's many critical details that still need to be ironed out. Uh, the NHL and the PA have not yet negotiated a timeline to return to play. Health and safety protocols for players, teams, when play resumes, have to be ironed out. How many family members, like I said, uh, will be included in the hub city sites. And, of course, uh, testing the economic implications stemming from the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, those are the biggest considerations right now. The NHL and the PA are on the hook for up to $1.15 billion in lost revenue if the season does not resume. Uh, some players have expressed frustration in the fact that a 24-team format was brought to a vote before the money aspect of it was brought up. Uh, that according to Saravelli again. Other players advocated for a defined timeline before the format was agreed upon. Uh, so hoping for a firm date like late August to return to the ice, which would then allow for the playoffs to be completed in September and October. The 2020-21 season would begin in December. All of this is still up for debate, so there's still lots to be ironed out. But in general, this playoff format has been agreed upon. Whether or not uh, it becomes a reality still is yet to be determined, but uh, the NHLPA and the NHL have agreed on the format at the very least, with, like I said, Tampa Bay and Carolina being the only teams to vote against it, meaning our Boston Bruins were in favor of it. And despite any concerns about uh, the play-in round, having teams that were well out of the playoff race have a chance to qualify now and the uh, top seeds having to play less meaningful games off the top. Um, the Bruins still were on board with a yes vote at the very least. So there you have it. There's the latest on that. Before we move forward, I just wanted to talk for a moment about Built Bar. Now I received my first box of Built Bars a couple weeks ago and I was very very impressed with this product. It is a healthy protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Each bar is covered in 100% chocolate, soft and easy to chew, but they're also good for you. So while I'm sitting at home doing my work on a daily basis, I don't have to feel bad by snacking on what feels like a candy bar, but it's actually very healthy for you. Uh, if you go to Built Bar dot com right now, you'll get $10 off your first box. You can mix and match flavors. There's eight chocolate nut flavors, eight chocolate nut free flavors for you to choose from. Uh, all very delicious uh, and all very good for you. High protein, high fiber, uh, low sugar, low calorie. And, you know, you can feel good having a great tasting but a healthy snack while you're, you know, working from home or on the go uh, out and about social distancing and uh, doing some errands that way. So yeah, check it out. BuiltBar.com. Get $10 off your first box if you use promo code LOCKEDON. Over the next couple of weeks here at the Locked On Network, we're jumping in the time machine and taking a look back at what the scene was like, uh, you know, back in 1990, 2000, 2010. I thought I would start by taking a look back at 1919, where the Stanley Cup final was cut short 
due to the Spanish flu. And I came across this really great article in the New York Times by Kurt Streeter. It's called The Cost of Rushing Back to Sports, A Star's Life. And I thought I would just read a bit of it uh, just to get a sense of what things were like back then and what happened when hockey was played during a global pandemic. Uh, Streeter writes, Nobody made much of it when Joe Hall skated off the ice. On March 25, 1919, his Montreal Canadiens were on the verge of losing Game 5 of the Stanley Cup Finals to the Seattle Metropolitans. Hall, 37, was one of hockey's original enforcers, known for applying his wooden stick like a cudgel and delivering knockout blows. The Canadiens, behind 3-0 heading into the third period, needed his pounding determination. But he went meekly to the bench and sat down. The Seattle crowd roared for the Metropolitans. The Canadians mounted a comeback and won, 4-3 in overtime. Hall was gone. Reporters failed to draw a connection between his departure and the gaunt pallor of players on both teams and the Spanish flu, which had swept across the world the year before. By the time the 1919 Stanley Cup Finals had gotten underway, La Grippe had become an afterthought. People were exuberant, in need of something to celebrate, said Kevin Tyson, a Seattle author who had written about the finals. There was also a lot of denial. Then the celebration turned somber. Days after Montreal's comeback, players on both sides grew sick. More than half of the Canadians and the owner of the team were stricken by the flu. Hall was suffering worst of all. The sports world, said his grandson Larry Hall, 79, should learn from history. What happened to my grandfather is relevant now in a way I never thought it would be, he said. The flu that hit the Stanley Cup came at the end of a series of pandemic waves. People relaxed, and then, unfortunately, it came again. Hours before a winner-take-all Game 6, hockey officials did something that they had never done before or since. They canceled the Stanley Cup Finals midstream. Joe Hall lay in a hospital, gasping for breath. His temperature was spiking. He was fighting for his life. Streeter continues, Even now, amid daily stories of death and the fight against COVID-19, it can be hard to fathom the pain of that time. 101 years ago, when an aggressive pandemic and the devastation of World War I laid waste to the world. In the United States, the first deadly outbreaks of the Spanish flu came in Kansas, hitting a small town and its army base in early 1918. From there, it is thought, soldiers spread the flu across the country and into the trenches of Europe and then far beyond, fueling one of the worst disasters in human history. For over two years, the Spanish flu killed at least 50 million people, including 55,000 in Canada and 675,000 in the U.S. More than half of its victims died during the second wave, which lasted three months late in 1918. A Jack Dempsey fight was postponed. Many high schools and colleges shortened or shuttered their sports seasons. Michigan and Pittsburgh were named the college football national champions. Both only played five games. Major League Baseball was the dominant sport of the time. Worried about viral transmission, it banned the spitball. In a recently published book, War Fever, the history professors Randy Roberts and Johnny Smith said that several Boston Red Sox briefly fell ill during spring training near an army base in Arkansas and that the team's biggest star, Babe Ruth, was sickened by the virus in the season's first full month. Ruth recovered and led the Sox to a World Series title in 1918, 
but teaming crowds at Fenway Park may well have spread the pandemic and helped make Boston one of the worst American epicenters of infection. No sport, however, was affected quite like hockey. Joe Hall was born in Britain and raised in rural Canada. He was one of professional hockey's early stars and among its most notorious. A vagabond of sorts, Hall played for nine teams and played for two Stanley Cup winners before landing with the Canadians in 1917 for one last stop. He wasn't big, only about 165 pounds and 5 feet 9 inches. Though away from games, he was well-liked and known for his quiet dignity. On the ice, he carried himself like a warrior. On one occasion, he was said to have attacked two Toronto players at the same time and caused a riot. We Bruins fans can get behind that. Then there was a tale about an in-game skirmish during which he inflicted such bloody mayhem that he was arrested and charged with disorderly conduct. Hockey was different then. This is according to Eric Zwieg, a historian and the author of Fever Season, a book about Hall and the Cup. Players were not as big and strong as they are now, but they were tough and durable. They dressed only about 10 players, and they didn't wear masks or helmets and even had little padding. Larry Hall, he was a health club owner who spoke on the phone from his home two hours north of Toronto and described a cherished item on the wall in his office. That Larry Hall, of course, was Joe Hall's grandson. Joe Hall's contract for the 1918-19 season was $600 with the potential for a $100 bonus. Now, the only records we have of the 1919 Stanley Cup come from archived newspapers, slim number of history books. There's no known audio or film record of that series. Uh, Larry Hall said the genes pass on, and for us, so do the stories. They're part of who we are, as the Hall family remembers what happened back then. The 1919 Stanley Cup, like I said, pitted the best team from the NHL against the best team from the Pacific Coast Hockey Association, a plucky upstart with clubs in Washington, Oregon, and Western Canada. The champions that year were the Seattle Metropolitans. They had beaten Montreal in 1917 to become the first American franchise to win the Cup. Uh, They were huge in Seattle, true celebrities, said Tissen, who has chronicled the team's championship season in a book, When It Mattered Most. They played sold-out games in a state-of-the-art arena. Uh, There were kids climbing to the roof to watch from skylights. Everywhere the players went in the city, people flocked to them. The NHL began its regular season games in late 1918. Some called the coming hockey year the peace season, a nod to the fact that the World War I had ended a month earlier. However, the Spanish flu kept coming in waves. In Seattle, the death toll mounted that October, and the city locked it down. Wearing masks became mandatory, and spitting could result in arrest. Stop me if this sounds familiar. Businesses, schools, and churches were closed, and large gatherings were banned. When the number of sick people decreased, the measures were loosened which led to the virus's deadly return. That seems pretty ominous, looking back. By March, when Montreal arrived by train for their championship series, which would be played entirely in Seattle, the pandemic had retreated enough to become a bit of an afterthought. So this is after the first wave and another wave, and maybe some smaller ones. The fated fight for the Cup is known not only for how it ended, but also for its intensity. 
Game 4 is considered by many to be one of the greatest in hockey history. Seattle held a 2-1 series lead and needed just one more victory to take the cup. Obviously, the format was a bit different then. But after two overtimes, 80 minutes of play, and not a single goal from either side, the contest was called a tie. Exhausted players collapsed to the ice. Some needed to be carried to the locker rooms. They may be playing for hockey championships for the next thousand years, wrote one reporter, but they'll never stage your greater struggle. Then came Game 5 and Hall's wilting departure. His illness was barely mentioned in initial report, reports, sorry, but uh, one newspaper said he had a high fever caused by overexertion. News stories about Hall's condition reported his regression each day as it became clear that he had been struck especially hard by the virus. His fever rose to 102, 103, 104. Because of the double overtime tie and Montreal's Game 5 win, the teams were slated to play once more to decide the championship. The Spanish flu spread like fire through both teams, and the Canadians didn't even have enough healthy players to keep going. After a proposal to bring in replacements was rejected, Montreal offered to forfeit. Seattle refused, refused, sorry, I said refused, a bit of a slip there. Seattle refused to claim the title that way. Hockey officials decided to call the series a draw, a result memorialized on the Stanley Cup. Series not completed is what it reads on the cup now. Joe Hall, what became of him? Well, his teammates recovered but he remained hospitalized. Fluid filled his lungs, and his fever stayed stubbornly high. His wife raced by train from Canada to be at his side, but she was too late. A week after his last game, the great enforcer died. Uh, So credit again to Kurt Streeter of the New York Times. He primarily writes features and essays and has particular interest in stories related to race, gender, and social justice. A version of this article that I uh, just went through appeared in the Times on May 25th, 2020, Section D, page 1 of the New York edition, with a headline, A Century-Old Caution About a Rush to Return. So as we talk about this 2014 playoff format, and the NHL and the NHLPA uh, negotiating the terms of a potential return. Uh, a cautionary tale here from 1919 and the Stanley Cup final that was not completed uh, and ultimately the death of a player in uh, Joe Hall. Let's finish as we usually do with some news and notes from around the NHL. And Pierre Lebrun of The Athletic, TSN, he's tweeting here this morning, that would be Monday, May 25th, about a memo that was released Sunday night, 29-page Phase 2 protocol, uh, which involves the opening of practice facilities, small group workouts to teams and players. Uh, This was released on Sunday. It's going to be released publicly on Monday, but uh, here are some of the highlights from LeBron. He says, based on... The current information available, the NHL is targeting early June for a transition to Phase 2, which uh, is about small group workouts. It has not yet been determined when precisely Phase 2 will start or how long it may last. We are continuing to monitor developments in each of the club's markets and may adjust the overall timing if appropriate. 
following discussion with all relevant parties. We again emphasize that player participation in Phase 2 is strictly voluntary. Clubs are not permitted to require players to return to the club's home city so they can complete a quarantine requirement in time to participate in Phase 2. So Phase 1, obviously, is this players have been sent home, uh, kind of mandatory quarantining, social distancing, and Phase 2 will involve uh, on-ice practice sessions, workouts, stipulating six players max in a practice facility at once on ice sessions with players only no coaches or other personnel allowed on the ice face coverings shall be worn at all times other than while exercising when entering or leaving the facility while inside the club facility where social distancing cannot be maintained players will not be required to wear face coverings when they are exercising or on the ice. So basically phase two, like I said, will involve six players being able to gather at workout facilities, on ice sessions, workouts, coaches will not be allowed on the ice, but I guess they'll be allowed to be in the stands kind of barking out instructions or suggestions. Um, And so the NHL is targeting early June for this. Of course, June begins fairly soon. It is May 25th as I record this. Um, And so, yeah, we're looking to see whether or not this can begin as early as next week. Um, So, yeah, that's kind of the next thing that the NHL is targeting as they look to return to play. Of course, I'll keep updating you as the situation develops on our daily podcasts. Well, three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday is what we're doing now. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that today is the day that the world celebrates David Pasternak's birthday. He is 24 years old today. Born May 25th, 1996 in Havirov in the Czech Republic. What a joy it is to be a fan of David Pasternak. I don't know how anyone, whether or not you're a Bruins fan or not, could not appreciate what he brings to the NHL and to hockey in general. If, in case you're not familiar with his story, his father Milan wanted him to play hockey His father died in 2013 following a lengthy battle with cancer, so he was not around when the Bruins drafted David 25th overall in 2014. Uh, He cites his father's um, desire for him to be a hockey player as the reason why he began practicing and training so hard, just desperately wanting to make it as a hockey player for his father. Um, Of course, he did get drafted by the Bruins in 2014 and has become not only arguably the best player on the Bruins. Do we want to go that far? Let me know what you think. Is David Pastrak the best player on the Bruins right now? Over the last couple seasons, he has certainly established himself as a star player in the NHL. Actually, for the last four seasons, it's quite remarkable how well he has played Dating back to the beginning of 2018, 2019, 
He has played 136 games, and he has recorded, oh my goodness, let me do the math here, 176 points, good for a 1.29 point per game average. This season, of course, he was on the verge of his first 50-goal season. He had recorded 48 goals through 70 games. Uh, Doesn't look like he'll get a chance to hit 50 this year, but based on normal circumstances, if and when that happens, who knows what ramifications this uh, return-to-play format will have on the 2020-21 season. But, you know, again, David Pasternak, one of the elite players in the game and should be one of the faces of the NHL just with his great story and amazing personality and, of course, his elite skill level. So we Bruins fans, again, very lucky to have him in black and gold, and I look forward to a time when we can watch him play again. I think I said it on Twitter the other day, one of my favorite moments of the season was uh, his overtime move on the New York Rangers to kind of draw all the defense to him, and then he passed it out front to a wide-open David Krejci, who uh, potted the overtime winner, I think it was the Black Friday game, past Henrik Lundqvist. Just a, a really great moment that really showed how he has developed as a player and um, certainly the influence of Brad Marchand and Patrice Bergeron has been incredibly positive on him as well. So again, happy birthday, David Pasternak, only 24 years old, and uh, truly I believe the best is yet to come uh, for this star player who I hope remains a Bruin for the entirety of his career. That's it for today's episode of the Locked On Boston Bruins podcast. Some, I don't know, hopeful developments in the return to play scenario for the NHL, but also something to think about in terms of 1919 and what happened when uh, the NHL returned amid uh, the Spanish flu pandemic. Uh, so yeah, kind of uh, up and down look there, but like to keep it balanced here in the Lockdown Boston Bruins podcast. Hope you all have a great Memorial Day. Keep it, uh, you know, safe and socially distant, but also try to get out there, enjoy the nice weather, and have a good time. Uh, up here in Canada, it's very hot this week, which is a bit, it's nice, but it's a bit of a bummer considering can't really hit the beach or anything like that. Don't have a pool. Our neighbors do, and it's hard to hear them uh, jumping in their pool when we can't join them. But, uh, you know, just doing what we got to do to stay safe and keep the spread of COVID-19 down. Uh, There's lots of things to watch on Netflix. Uh, I've been continuing my rewatch of Dark. Just finished season two once again. One of my all-time favorite shows, no doubt. Uh, I'm looking forward to watching Lovebirds, which is a new Romantic comedy with Kumail Nanjiani and Issa Rae. And, you know, just continuing to plug through New Girl and Community and season two of both of those. Reading some books, enjoying some time out on the deck, trying to, uh, you know, just crack open a cider here and there and try to take my mind off things and just make the best of it. And I hope you're all doing the same. Uh, if you need to reach me, feel free to tweet me at ENC McLaren at LO underscore Boston Bruins. Locked on Boston Bruins at gmail.com. Check out builtbar.com for your first box, $10 off using promo code locked on. And do check out the Locked On NHL podcast as well for some great 
uh, hockey content covering the whole league. That's it, friends. Have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you again on Wednesday. Peace.